you know that I have a lot on my heart today, and I pray, Lord God, that it would be in harmony with you, with you and what you, what you intend for me to share. Uh, I pray as I dig into the text, as I dig into the scriptures, that you would speak uh, to folks' hearts this morning, that they would know you more, they would be in your presence, um, that they would be challenged and, and called to, to, um, to grow spiritually, to be um, more your people. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, uh, so I sent out emails this week, and uh, in my email I sent out uh, the text for the sermon, uh, this week's sermon, and I, I sent uh, a collection of questions, and um, some of y'all, well, I don't know if anybody in the room is not on the email list. If you didn't receive it and you think, oh, I would like that, uh, let me know, and I will add you. Uh, if you thought it was phenomenal and you totally loved it, let me know. Uh, if you ignored it, don't tell me. Uh, <laughs> unless you ignored it and intend to do better next week and need accountability, in which case, tell me and I'll, I'll get after you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to try this. I want to try something new um, and, and hopefully I can, I can make clear what that is uh, as we work through the text today. Before I get to that, I have – all right, so during COVID, I had to get up here during that, that lockdown when no one was here except for, like, me and Jeremy. I had to get up – and Jess, after a little while – I had to get up here, and I had to preach to a camera. And I hate um, when I watch a sermon done to a, a camera – because the guy always stands there and stares directly at the camera, and it seems so unnatural and wooden. And so I, I put a lot of effort into trying to look around the room. And, and one of the things I did for that was I brought in, and anybody who watched the sermons online is familiar with this, right? I brought in a Batman cutout stand-up that I had. And I kept him in the corner, and he actually moved around the room quite a bit. Um, either my kids messing with him or Jeremy messing with him or what have you. And this, this Batman cutout had been in my room, or my kids' room, not my room, uh, <laughs> uh, for quite a while and was pretty beat up because my, if it was mine in my room, I would have kept it in the Mylar bag that it came in. And the kids wore it out. It was folded and we had to tape it up and put little props in it so it wouldn't fall over. And I think I worked that into a sermon one week even. Uh, and so that Batman, I moved it downstairs into the hallway, and it's been there since we got back and people started showing up because I felt like it would be weird for Batman to be looking at everyone during the sermon. Um, but it helped me look around the room, which is why I brought it. Two weeks ago, I was not here. And I came back, and I was unlocking my office door, and I look over at Batman, who's supposed to be guarding my office, and someone had come through and torn Batman's head off. <laughs> I, and and I, I looked at it and I thought, what? And the first thing I thought was, those eerie children? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sure it wasn't your children. I, <laughs> but so, so Batman, his head is gone. And, and I've been thinking about this Batman for weeks and wondering... The most important question, not who did it, but rather, not even why, what happened to his head? <laughs> and, the, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Oh, <laughs> it was a Bond Miller child. <laughs> Confession is good for the soul, but bad for the backside. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, so I've been wondering what happened to the head. And no joke, after church last week, I was walking downstairs, and the head was sitting on the little table there, which makes me wonder how it got there. Like this, but So we're going to get to this. This has a point, okay? Headless Batman is kind of funny, right? But, but I've been reading comic books for a while, and I'm quite certain that once Batman head, Batman's head comes off his body, he becomes surprisingly less effective at his job. Right? Like, without his head, Batman cannot keep Gotham safe. Right? Like, he can't fight bad guys. He can't think through problems. He can't, like, like most of us are in that place. Some of you all may have met people in your life who you think, man, I could take that guy's head off and he'd do his job just as well as he's doing it right now. Um, mostly, that's my children in room cleaning, and I've never actually tried to cut their heads off, though I may have thought about it. Um, so, Batman, minus his head is worthless, right? Like the moment I took him out of the Mylar bag, his value went away um, as a collector's item. But, but Batman himself, the body without the head is worthless, right? The body without the head cannot do anything worth doing, right? Um, those of you all who raise chickens are familiar with the old adage, right? What happens when you cut the chicken's head off? The chicken runs around like... With his head cut off, and actually, there's a story um, that that circulated uh, a few years ago about a uh, gentleman who cut the chicken's head off, and the chicken managed to survive for several years. And he fed it with a dropper down the down the neck, and he brought it out and liked to circus sideshows or whatever. But like a chicken can actually live without its head, and in a very weird way, the church can go a while without its head, right? But it ain't going to do anything worth doing. So we're going to be looking at the church. We're going to be talking about um, the world around us, though. I, I was trying to come up with a title for the sermon this week, and, and I, I came up with there's something wrong with the world today. And, and some of you all actually, those of you who are about 40, recognize where this came from. Did anybody? Oh, just me? Wow. Um, I'll come back to it later then. Uh, but how many of you all read that title? heard that title and immediately thought about something you've seen on TV or Facebook or, or in your community or in your own house or, or somewhere. I mean, like, like anybody who is a follower of Christ can back up and look at the world around us right now and say things are wrong, right? As, as a culture, as a world, we grow increasingly lost. The darkness becomes increasingly prevalent. Um, we become increasingly amoral. Um, it seems like the church's voice in our country has, has dissipated in a major way. And, and we're going to talk about that some today. For the next, um, I don't know how long, it'll depend. I'm praying about it, and we'll figure out where this sermon series goes when we get there. Um, we're going to talk about the church, right? Not just our church, but our church is going to be a part of this conversation, but the church. Um, and we're going to start with Chronicles. Chronicles is one of those books you rarely hear preached about because it is a really difficult book. And the reason it's really difficult is that it's in a category that exists only for Chronicles, and that's theological history. What happened was, 
Chronicles was the collection of historical events told through a certain lens or perspective during the exile. So like someone sat down, one of the priests or one of the leaders or what have you, sat down and looked and said, all right, Israel is going to go home soon. And when they get back to the promised land, they need to figure out how to live. And they went through and they looked at the history of Israel and they highlighted certain aspects of how God deals with his people. And so when you read Chronicles, Chronicles is more about telling the story of how God redeems and restores his people. Um, how God keeps his promises. Because the people of Israel stand around saying, well, look, how, like what happens now? We were God's chosen people and then we got kicked out of the promised land. And God was really mad at us. Are we no longer the chosen people? Do the promises no longer apply? What are we supposed to do? What's supposed to change? How do we not get kicked out of the promised land again? And they're asking all these questions, and Chronicle is the answer to that. And Chronicles draws on all kinds of history to tell that story. In this particular case, we're going to be hearing about um, Azariah, um, who is a prophet. And Azariah, it starts out with, the Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. Now, that phrase, the Spirit of God came on, is huge. And it's huge because it is the like hallmark phrase in the book of Judges, right? Judges is the story of the time that Israel lived in the promised land without a king, and everything was kind of lawless and chaotic. Right, And this story, this prophecy from Azariah is going to draw on judges. He's going to talk about the time of the judges in a very pointy and very mean kind of way. All right? So watch your feet. Um, every time a judge was chosen to deliver Israel, the phrase, the Spirit of God came on so-and-so is applied in the beginning. And when they get crummier and crummier and crummier and the judges, remember, like, the judges decrease in quality, the phrase becomes less and less impressive. But for Azariah, this is an impressive statement. The Spirit of God came on him because he can only do things worthwhile with the Spirit of God on him. Um, so Azariah, he went out to meet Asa. Asa is the king at the time and said to him, listen to me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you and when excuse me is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now what's going on at the time is Israel uh, Judah, excuse me, in the southern kingdom is going through a period of turmoil. Things are um, chaotic and they're disastrous and it's right on the beginning of the real downhill plunge that is coming. And um, what um, as Azariah is doing is he's coming to Asa and he's saying, listen, things are about to get out of control, right? But God will be with you if you're with him, right? If you stick with God, he's going to take care of you. If you abandon him, guess what? He's going to be with you. I always feel that way when I'm uh, with my kids in the store. Like, Abby will go with me to the store, and sometimes, because she's getting a little older, she'll wander off, right? And I allow her to have a little bit of free range, right? It, it's okay. You'll be old enough to wander off on your own soon. 
Um, and so we were at the store the other day. Abby was with a friend of hers, and they took off, and I did my shopping, and they were supposed to meet me at the front of the store when, when we were all said and done. And Abby had all these things that she wanted to buy that she had collected up while she was wandering around the store. And there was a problem. You know what that problem was? Abby didn't have any money. And so Abby came to me and said, Dad, while I was away, I collected these things up, and now it's time for you to buy them for me. And Dad said, no. Had Abby stuck with me, I might have said, yeah, you can grab that. Yeah, you can grab that. It is within my will that you pick that up. It is within my will that you pick those things up. But in this particular instance, Abby was not concerned about my will. She was concerned about her want. And so she collected up all her wants, and I was not with her, and I didn't buy any of that stuff. Um, And that's what he's saying here. Look, God is with you, but you need to be with him. God will take care of you, but don't think you can run off and do your own thing and be over here playing around, and and God is going to take care of you. It won't work that way. For a long time, now watch this, he's talking about, so Azariah is pointing back to the book of Judges, and he says, for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. Now watch this. There are three things missing for Israel, right? And we actually talked about one of these ideas last week when we talked about the golden calf. Um, For those of you all who missed it, the golden calf, um, we all often think, oh, they were worshiping the calf. Actually, what they had done was they had asked for an idol, and Aaron came along and said, well, we'll make a calf, and that's like God's, God's ride. That's God's Cadillac. And so the calf, they were actually not just worshiping the calf. They were worshiping God through the calf because you couldn't see God, but you could see his ride, right? And so they're like, yes, we're going to worship God in this setting. This is how we're going to worship God. And in relation to that, we talked about this idea that if you change who God is or if you pick your own approach to him, you ain't worshiping God, you're worshiping an idol, right? And we oftentimes do that to Jesus. We turn Jesus into Pollyanna or we turn Jesus into the flag-waving best friend who's going to go beat the bad guys for us or we turn Jesus into something he's just not and then like we worship that version of jesus and in reality that version of jesus is nothing and these people like at the time of the judges they were worshiping something that was not the true god they were worshiping idols and they were worshiping like like things that had nothing to do with who god really was and so they were lost and they were able to lose the true god Because they didn't have a priest to teach. Meaning that the religious system had fallen apart to such a degree that nobody was hearing the truth. That nobody, actually I have my three lined up, that nobody was in this place where they were hearing who God really is or what was expected of him. Nobody was spreading out this information. And because of that, they had lost the true God. And you take a further step and there's no law. The book of Judges ends with a phrase, right? And everyone did what was right in, you guys know the end of this? Their own eyes. Anybody turn the TV on and think about that recently? Anybody scroll Facebook and think, doing right in their own eyes, right? We are in this place where, like, or they, the judge, in the time of the judges, Israel was in this place where they had no law, Because they had heard some things, but they hadn't been taught enough 
to shift the truths about who God is into their daily lives. And so they were not applying God's truths. They were not implementing God's will in their lives. They were not following God. There was no law. And so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And you see this, like, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Actually, in my head, I lined this up. But I'm so excited about this, I'm jumping ahead. So the three things are missing. They lack the true God. They don't have proper teaching. And because of that, there is no law. No one is, no one is doing the thing that needs to be done. No one is living out um, the truth of being followers of Yahweh. Um, but, so now this is the theme of Chronicles, right? But in their distress, they turned to the Lord and the Lord of Israel and sought him. And he was found by them. So in their distress, like things started going wrong, and they turned around and they looked for God. And this is a pattern in Judges over and over again. The people screw up. They're oppressed or um, beaten up or, um, you know, inflicted upon. And having been inflicted upon, they turn around and they start looking for God, and God sends a judge to rescue them. Um, And then actually we see this pattern throughout scriptures. And Chronicles is saying, look, you guys are in exile, but turn and trust God. Turn and seek him. Turn and look for him, and you'll find him. This actually does sound pretty familiar, right? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. This might be pointing forward to the time when Christ would come, when everybody has gone astray, when everybody has lost, when we come to the reality that all of us, even our best works are like filthy rags before God's robes of righteousness, and we can't obey the law well enough to make it to heaven, and we can't do things right on our own. We can't white-knuckle it and willpower it and everything else. We just can't do it on our own, and so we need Christ to save us. And if you seek him, you will find him. The problem is, Oftentimes, we don't seek him. We seek the fake version of him. We seek the version of him that looks like the Jesus that I want to follow. We seek the version of him that says, if I do these things, then God will give me all of my wildest dreams, right? All your wildest dreams will come true if you make Jesus your savior or president or whatever, the Pedro version of Jesus. Like half of you know what I'm talking about. Um, It's a movie thing. Uh, but, but this idea like, oh, God will give me everything and I'll be wealthy and I'll have a nice car and I'll have this and I'll have that. That's not Jesus. God ignores me and I can, you know, cheat on my wife. I can look at dirty things on the internet. I can, um, waste the resources he's given me. I can, um, steal. I can rob. I can lie. I can gossip. I can hate my neighbor. I can look across the church and say, man, I really, really hope so-and-so is paying attention to this because it has nothing to do with me, but it's all about them, Right? That's fake Jesus. And at the end of the day, when the church surrounds itself and organizes itself around fake Jesus, we end up with headless Batman. Right? He ain't saving anyone. Fake Jesus can't. The church can't spread the gospel if they're pursuing the wrong Jesus. Um, If my own will is what matters, I can't find like God's will. I cannot do the job I'm given. The church cannot do the job it's given because the head is missing. And we've replaced it with a cheap, like, substitute. 
So the prophet goes on, again, talking to the king. He says, listen, in those days it was not safe to travel about, for all inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them in their every, with every kind of distress. I'm going to read that last part again, because like... This idea of, hey, it's not safe to travel, and people were fighting against each other, and they were crushing each other and oppressing each other and taking advantage of each other and everything else, this isn't that uncommon in the world, right? Like, this is the way of the world. There has never been a time in history when this has not been taking place. Um, It just happens that sometimes we're not the one getting crushed. Um, But the world world lives in this broken place. This is a reality. But in this case, as he's talking about Israel, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. And it's really easy to look at the world around us and say everything is falling apart because the devil is doing it. Or because those evil such and such people on the left or right hand side of this or that. Or because like the people who don't believe in God or because of these people or because of these people or because the backslidden or because of the people who... Like these, it's their trouble. But in reality, trouble comes to the world because God allows it to. That's a hard idea. I am not saying that God is the author of sin. So if you hear me saying that, clean your ears out. What I am saying is, we find this in Romans 1. Watch this. God sees his people sinning and he just says, well, look, if you love that more than you love me, I'll take a step back and you can do whatever you want. And then they love their, you know, lust of the flesh or they love their money or they love their whatever more than they love God even more. And God says, you know what, if that's what you're going to do, I'll take another step back. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and worse and worse and worse. And if you read through Romans 1, man, it is a brutal send up of the world. And in fact, I would encourage you when you get home, sit down with Romans 1 and read it and say, how much does the world around me look like this? And all that's happening over and over again is God is handing people over to what they want. They choose this instead of him. And so he hands them over to what they want. Um, we see where, where this happens in the body, where believers want influence, or they want power, or they want money, or they want an easy life, or they want their way, or they want this, or they want that, and they want it all, rather than wanting Christ. Like the song said, right? Let me desire the healer, not the healing. Let me desire the Savior, not the saving. We hit this weird point sometimes where we get this obsessed with something that has nothing to do with who Christ is. And we walk away, and God says, if you want that instead of me, you can have it. Anybody ever find themselves in that spot? I, this is for me, this was uh, when I woke up one morning and realized I had like fallen away from following Jesus and I was like an alcoholic and I was, you know, screwed up in every way I could think of. I lied more than I told the truth and I stole stuff and everything else. And I was working at a church at the time and I was really good at it. And every time I picked a new way to sin and I said, I like this more than I like you, God. God said, all right, if that's what you want. Because it didn't start out big. It started out really little. Then it got a little bigger. And God just kept backing up and letting me do it. And I'm willing to bet you a dozen donuts that some of us, apart from just me, have done this. Or in the middle of doing this. And I will guarantee you, God will always take a step back and let you wallow in your sin. And every once in a while, he'll wake you up by 
sending you trouble, sending you distress, sending you difficulty. And that difficulty is there as an alarm clock. Does anybody love the sound of the alarm clock in the morning? Oh, man, I love being woken up from the dream I was having. I, I actually, uh, there was a little while, I would set my alarm at 4 o'clock every morning. I started waking up at 3.45. And I'm not a morning person. I started waking up at 3.45, I think, because I didn't want to wake up to the alarm clock. <laughs> I think deep down there's a part of me that wanted to sleep less and not listen to the alarm clock. The alarm clock is miserable. The alarm clock that God sends us is miserable. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Now, at the time, Asa was reforming, was reforming Israel. He was changing the way Israel worshipped. He was cutting down idols and setting them on fire. And he was doing all kinds of stuff to eliminate um, sort of the pagan worship and the false like following of God, like like he was reforming the country, and he's coming, you know, um, as Azariah comes out and says, keep doing it. Now, this particular book, Chronicles, has a habit of drawing on Old Testament, like all over the Old Testament. And so he's talking about judges, but he finishes with a passage that, like, if you're paying attention, looks an awful lot like um, Joshua 1. Um, this is God sending Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law of Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, um, that you may have good success wherever you go. Um, Over and over again, God says... Go out and do this. Don't get confused. Don't get lost. Be strong and courageous and you'll be successful. Be strong and courageous and you'll be successful. We are, and I'm going to keep coming back to this because I think this is important, and I think we're in a time of waking up, right? I don't think misery happens because God loves to kick the anthill. I think misery happens because God loves us. And he loves us enough to shake us rather than let us sleep to death. And I think a lot of the headache and the pain in the neck and the chaos. And, I mean, honestly, how many of y'all feel like half the world is just, actually not even half the world, 90% of the world is just angry to the point that they can hardly see straight anymore. Like, like half the world is so angry and bitter. And it's not one political affiliation or another. It's not one religious group or another. It's not anything like that. It is everyone. And I would argue, and I believe that a lot of that anger and a lot of the bitterness and a lot of the resentment and a lot of the misery that we are seeing foment and grow in the culture around us is because is because the church forgot its head. And we're running around like a chicken in a Batman suit. That's, that's an analogy right there. Our culture, the world around us, our families lack the true God because no one's teaching them. And because of that, the law is disintegrating around us. Now, here's where this gets tricky. Watch this. We're going to jump forward. Because, like, if that's the case, then that means it's the church's job to fix this. Right? Like, who is it that brings the true God to the world? Us. 
you and me, right? And we don't do it by winning elections, and we don't do it by giving money, and we don't do it by posting, if you share this, Jesus will be with you. Uh, we, don't, we don't do it with a lot of the nonsense that we seem to think. We don't do it by buying the right Christian books or going to the right chicken restaurant or any of that other nonsense. We don't. We do it by being God's people and proclaiming the glory of a Christ, of the Son of God who loved you enough to suffer for your sins. That's a huge thing. How do we do that? We do it by teaching. Who teaches? Well, I teach, right? And I'll confess, I don't always teach as well as I should. I wish I was, I wish I was a better like, follower of Jesus, right? I wish I was better at my job. I wish I was more consistent. I wish I was more clear-spoken. I wish I didn't always go 45 minutes long. I know you all wish that too. Um, but I'll take it a step further. <laughs> I love you, beautiful. Um, But at the same time, in our own homes, we oftentimes don't teach, and we don't pray, and we don't meditate together, right? There's a reason I sent out the text this week, and I said, hey, if you got the time, sit down as a family. 15 minutes a day, just do this. Talk with your kids, right? Just ask the question. Pray about this before we get to talking about it on Sunday morning. Fill your heart with this idea before we step into it on, month, on Sunday morning. Like, meditate. But we don't teach our children. Some of y'all did. I am confident some of y'all did. Some of y'all do. Some of y'all looked at my thing and said, I'm not doing that because we're already doing something. And Eric doesn't know what he's talking about. And you're right. Um, but in our own homes, fathers, fathers have this responsibility. You want to know who's supposed to teach the family? Husband, father, that's your job. Spiritual leader. That's it. You're supposed to do it. It's actually heartbreaking how few men teach Sunday school. Like, not adult Sunday school, children's Sunday school. And kids grow up assuming that Sunday school and learning about Jesus is the job of women. And little boys think, if I'm going to be a man, we'll be like, Dad, you sleep in. And then the law disappears. And there are riots in the streets. And people who equate politicians with Jesus. And abortion and pornography and lying and wickedness and hating our neighbors. I believe that the struggle we see as a culture is a result of this. How do we fix it? We're going to jump to Jesus for this. Jumping for Jesus, or jumping to Jesus for this. I'm not going to jump up and down. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, um, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, he's got all of the disciples there. He's talking to all 12 of them, and he says, all right, guys, we've been ministering and teaching for a little while here. What's the consensus? What are folks saying? Right? And the group starts sounding off. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And all of these make sense. You know why? Because Jesus' ministry bore the marks of all of these folks. And they were kind of sensible answers. And actually, what's kind of nuts about this is Jesus has been out preaching and teaching, and all these folks are seeing him and hearing him and encountering his ministry, and they're saying, well, that Jesus guy, he's obviously John the Baptist. Okay. He's obviously Elijah. Come again, just like the prophet said he would. 
They're saying all of these things, but none of them are right. And this is an example of what I'm talking about, the headless, the headless uh, Batman, right? Because the church oftentimes backs up and says, Jesus is all about grace, and that's all we need to talk about. No law, no sin, no death, no punishment, no expectations, no discipline, no growth. Jesus forgives you and is basically like the kindly, stupid grandpa who gives you whatever you want. Right? But that's not Jesus. Some people teach that Jesus is this crushing weight on you. Turn or burn. You know, don't touch the wrong kind of meat on Sundays. Don't walk across the street on Sundays. Don't, you know, do this. Don't do that. Don't, you know, vote the wrong way. Don't do, you know, all of this other nonsense. And it has nothing to do with who Jesus is. And the church has done this over and over again. And this is why I'm starting here. This is what Jesus taught us. What is the church? What is our job? Um, well, first off, he asks, well, who am I? All of these things come out. And then, oh, I got to, that is in the wrong place. I got to go backward one here, so I don't try not to forget it. But what, but what about you, he said? Who do you say I am? So he's asking all 12 of them, who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter, always the loud mouth, steps forward and answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. What's the first missing piece? The true God. And either Jesus is the true God over the church, either Jesus is the head of the church, either Jesus is the thing that we are driving at and chasing and pursuing and living for, or we're a headless organization. That confession is central to everything. If we lose that confession, if that confession becomes about, like, everything that we're about, it just happened, um, we get lost. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. So Simon, son of Jonah, right? This is his original name. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Meaning you didn't know this on your own. And Peter's speaking for the group, by the way. Like he steps forward and he's speaking for the group. Peter didn't, Jesus didn't say, Peter, who do you say I am? He says, who do you guys say I am? And Peter steps forward and talks. I believe all of the disciples believed this at this point. Peter's just the one who said it out loud. And I tell you, so um, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, there's a couple things going on here, and I'm really pushing the clock, and I'm sorry. Is everybody still with me? Awake? Tune me out yet? Um, Peter, right, means is petros. Um, it means a stone that rolls or is in motion, an insecure stone, right? And it was his nickname for Peter. That's what Jesus called him, right? Um, and it became his name ultimately. Like, he's Simon, but he is Peter, the rock. And on this rock I will build my church. This is one of the most argued about and misinterpreted texts in the world, right? The Catholics would say, on this rock, meaning Peter, because it's rock and rock, right? It's not that. Actually, it is that, but it's not that. Because they use this as an argument for the Pope. Peter is not the leader of the universal church, period. Okay? Um, the word is the same, but a little different. Petra and Petros, 
right? Petros refers to a huge, solid, enormous outcropping. Um, I heard it argued that it is a reference to many stones fused together to form one. Um, I'm going to argue that what he's talking about here is the confession made by the people that are standing before him, right? And there's a lot more nuance to this. I don't have time to do all of it. I'm sorry. Um, but he's saying, listen, that confession, that truth is what the church is going to be built on. What binds us, what unifies us, what makes us the church is the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we fail that, we fail to be the church, and we become headless. We become lost. And then we cannot bring the true God to the world because we ain't got him. The beginning point for our culture not falling apart is us. Period. And a lot of people, the first thought they had, because the first thought I had when I was coming up with this was, well, but I'm just me, me believing that Jesus is the Son of the living God. How is that going to do anything? How is that going to affect, you know, California? How is that going to affect, you know, the East Coast? How is that going to affect um, Texas? How is that going to affect? It's God. Like, my job isn't to go out and change all those people. My job in the context of the church is to believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God and act like it's true. Because if I believe it, i got to act like it's true, right? Um, if my purpose in being at church is because I know if I check my box enough, I'll go to heaven, I'm lost. If I show up every week knowing that God's ignoring my sins as long as I keep showing up, I'm lost. If I show up to church and I spend 90% of my time thinking about how so-and-so really ticks me off because dot, dot, dot. Any of y'all ever do this? Look at the guy across the way and think, that guy is such a jerk that I'm missing the point. Because we are here to focus on Christ. We are here to pay attention to who Christ is calling us to be. And that confession that unifies us, that makes us one, is the beginning point. We do not have the true God. We cannot teach him. We cannot grow our children. We cannot grow our families. We cannot grow the body. We cannot grow ourselves. We can't anything. We're headless and dead. Now, here's the next step, and this is where it starts getting kind of cool. By the way, um, oh, it is there. Hey, look at that. Um, As you come to him, this is Peter talking. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by human hands, or by humans, but chosen by God, And precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What's he saying here? He's saying, like this is Peter who Jesus was talking to. He's saying, listen, you're all living stones put together, one big Petros, built into a house, built into the church. It is that unified confession that makes us something more, that makes us a priesthood. It is not this room. It is not this building. It is not Church of God on our sign. It is the body of Christ, like, unified through the confession of who he is. So going on, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is another hugely argued about one, and there's a lot of nuance to it. I am not going to dig into all of that. I'm going to talk about one aspect of it. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. If 
I give Abigail my keys one day when she's 45 and allowed to drive, what does she have authority over? My car, right? That's authority. She has authority over my car. What God or what Christ is giving the church is authority over the kingdom. He is giving them authority. He's not giving them power. He is not giving them a big club to beat the world up. He is not giving them magic tricks or a satchel of books to preach at people. He is giving them authority to speak on his behalf. That means that the entire power of God stands behind the church as it speaks in harmony with his will. Because all authority and all power in the church comes from being connected to God's will, right? Um, I believe, you know, I act in harmony with God's will and God does it with me. I do my own thing and guess what? It doesn't work. It's like that clown uh, who, he was a TV evangelist who was all over the internet. He uh, did this, he stood up on TV and he said, I, with the holy wind of the Holy Spirit, I blow you away, COVID-19. And he said, all right, now it's cured. Guess what? It wasn't. He didn't blow it away. He didn't do anything because he wasn't blowing the Holy Spirit. He was blowing his own horn because God was not standing with him. Right? Only when I act in harmony with God's will are the keys effective? Do I have authority over the kingdom, or in the kingdom, through the kingdom, the authority of the kingdom? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, when he ordered his, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So now here's where this gets tricky. The church doesn't want authority. Like, it doesn't. We want power. Right? We want recognition. Most ministers don't want authority. They want notoriety. They want reputation. Most believers don't want to come accepting y'all, of course. Most believers don't want to come into the church every Sunday and hear God's will. They want to hear what they, what they want reflected back to them. Right? There's a hard place to humble ourselves to the point where we say, God's will where we say what makes us the body is Jesus is the Son of God and that we're unified by that confession and everything that comes with it. That's hard. And that's miserable. And we get lost in it. And we get lost in it because there's so much to do. It is really difficult to get up in the morning when you've got a million things to do, especially how many of y'all farmers wake up in the morning for the last month and say... Got to get this done. Got to get this done. It might rain next week, so I got to knock this out. I got to knock, deal with this. I got to try and fill out this paperwork while I'm doing this other thing. And there's so many things to do. And it is really easy to dive into that and to say, this is the most important thing today. Right? But if we're confessing over and over again, Jesus is Lord, then the first thing we have to do is stop in at the boss's office and ask, what do you want me to do today, God? It's not a small thing. It seems like it might be. I mean, of course God wants me to go out and, you know, plow the fields. So I don't need to check in with him. I'll just go do it. But then you're the boss, right? Um, I, I know the Bond Millers have like 800 fields, and they've got like 10 people working for them right now, right? Or 15. If 
if your hands get up in the morning, get in the combine and say, I'm going to work that field over there and drive away from the rest of the group until the field, they're going to get fired, right? If not shot at. I, I've heard that you guys shoot at the combine sometimes. You can't act on your own authority. You don't have it. The church's job is to act in harmony with these keys, with this authority of heaven, to act in harmony with God's will. And I'm going to tell you, Chronicles gives us a powerful bit of redirection here. gives us a powerful bit of focus here. And I know I'm long, and I'm not sorry. Um, But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, God of Israel, and sought him. And he was found by them. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how broken the world is around us. It doesn't matter how, how far down the, the bowl it is swirling. Like, we can always back up and say, God, where are you? I'm looking for you. My challenge to you this week, and I was going to do an altar call and all that, but I'm so long today. Um, and so I'm not going to do, like, music and manipulation and everything else. I'm going to ask you, like, straight up, are you... Are you, are you living according to this truth? Are you bound together by the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he lords over every aspect of your life? Do you watch the news and think, God, I want you to fix this. Lord, like, bring their hearts to repentance. Lord, like, do you look at the guy next to you in the pew who ticks you off and say, Lord, change my heart. Help me to serve this person until I love them. Do you look at the people around you and just hope they never figure out who the real you is? Because if they knew, they would judge you so hard. And so you've got to hide all your sin and pretend that you're okay. Are you in that place? Are you standing up and saying, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what's involved. Jesus is Lord. He is boss. I'm following him. As we finish up, we pray and ask you, you know, to choose this day who you will serve since we touched on Joshua earlier. But as for me and my house, you'll serve the Lord. The close in prayer, and I want you to ask yourself, like, who are you going to serve? The world is falling apart around us. Are we going to fix it with, with the voting booth in November? Are we going to fix it on Facebook? We're going to fix it on our knees, begging God to set us right, pursuing the true God, Seeking, asking, and knocking. And close in prayer, and if that's you, if you are standing up, if you're going to look for the head and find it, I want you to stand up while we're praying. I'm already standing, so I'm good. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we, as the body of Christ, would stand up, that we would pursue you, that we would look for you, that we, in everything that we do, in every part of our lives, in every, every element that we would pursue you and look for the one true God, that we would look for your son, that we would look for, for how your will is calling us to be better, to be more your people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm going to send out verse.